0: Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Audible, the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash smart to learn more Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com.
1: Smart hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Smart People Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm John. This one's awesome. This one's so awesome. You will use it every day of your life almost. This is, I feel like we're benefiting you the most in this episode. Is that aggressive? No. No, it's pretty, I mean it's, it's not aggressive like, at all. You said you use this kind of stuff when dating.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And work every single day. And it's almost embarrassing how good she sounds as a speaker compared to us. And we're gonna edit this episode, and I'm sure she's still gonna sound better than we us. We don't actually, this will be the easiest edit job you've ever had to do. Oh, I'm not editing There's anything not, she says.
1: It amazed me how she would pause and not use those filler words. Anyways, let's let's get on to what we're going to talk about. Today, we go through some huge things in, in speaking, in presentations, in your elevator pitch. We are speaking with Christine Clapp, who is a presentation skills consultant who develops the voice of experts who want to broaden their impact. She basically teaches you the best ways to communicate and... I don't even need to give you her resume, even though it's fantastic. She was debate king throughout college and she worked on the Hill and did speeches for a bunch of professional people. And she has her own business, Spoken With Authority, which you can see it's spokenwithauthority.com. But after listening to this episode, you'd be like, man, she just says the right
0: stuff. I know that I was personally taking notes the entire interview and I will utilize everything she taught us today especially at work. I mean, I can think of countless times that I'm in front of clients or I'm in front of coworkers that I need to speak and sound confident, that type of thing. And using what Christine talked about today, I think will improve my overall presentation and communication skills.
1: I agree. But before we get to our interview with Christine Clapp,
0: here's a message from one of our sponsors. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. You can share content quickly with built-in apps, Blogs, calendars, file sharing, forums, Twitter-like microblogs, and wikis. Everything is social, you comment on any type of content, at mention your coworkers, follow content for updates, and use tags to group things around the way you work. You can add on rooms like mini igloos for each of your teams to work in.
1: As with anything I enjoy, it's easy. The whole thing is drag and drop, features responsive design, and uses beautiful fonts from Typekit. Your igloo has enterprise grade security and you can start using it right away. The best part it's free to use with up to 10 people. And when your igloo grows, it's only 12 bucks a person each month. Go to igloosoftware.com slash brain to start building your igloo. That's igloosoftware.com slash brain. Christine, thank you again so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And like I said, I'm excited for this interview and for our listeners to hear this. It's a very pertinent topic, something that almost everyone will come in contact with at some point in their life. And you talk to people and coach people about speaking in public, giving presentations, job interviews, all that good stuff, right?
2: Exactly.
1: You have a really interesting story. I think it was kind of a road less traveled almost of how you became an expert at all this stuff. Could you tell us a little bit about your background?
2: Absolutely. The fact of the matter is, I have always been a terrible public speaker. When my dad wrote a Christmas letter when I was seven or eight years old, he gave an update that my sister and I were both doing very well in school, but that I had a difficult time doing book reports. And it was the oral presentation element of it that was difficult for me. And that carried into my years in college And I happened to fall in love with a rhetoric and media studies major, and it's one of the three schools in the nation that has a rhetoric major, and that's the study of persuasion. And I thought it was so fascinating. The only downfall was that I had to demonstrate my oral proficiency in order to graduate, and it meant I either had to take a semester of debate, which meant going to two debate tournaments on two weekends, or I had to participate in an entire semester-long public speaking course and go three times a week for one hour. And I thought, well, surely going to two weekend debate tournaments will be less painful than going to a semester-long course. And that's what I did. And I lost every single debate in those two tournaments. I went 0 and 12. (laughs) And in one of the rounds, our opponents, it's a form of debate where it's two versus two, we were randomly paired up with one of the best teams in our region And I realized in that debate when they were trouncing us that it wasn't that they were smarter or that they were better or anything else. They were just more articulate. And the fact of the matter was I needed to become a more articulate communicator if I wanted to become a leader of my generation because I knew that they would be. And the question was whether I would be too. And that's when I dedicated to becoming a good presenter. And I wanted to help other people become a great presenter too because it really does Open doors and allows you to fulfill your potential.
1: Now, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people at some point have probably been like, oh, I wish I could be a better speaker. I wish I could get over the fears or have the words at my disposal to use. But it's, it's a hard first step to make, especially if you're a college student. Do you remember kind of how you went about the beginning parts of getting better at this, where you found resources that were useful and things like that?
2: I practiced, and I practiced, and I practiced. I went to a week-long debate camp, which is as nerdy as it sounds, (laughs) and I learned how to create an affirmative case. I learned how to put together a debate case. And all summer long, I would come up with different topics that I found from old debate tournaments or as sample topics that I found on the Internet, and I would construct cases, and I would deliver them out loud. And I literally would do case after case, day after day, that summer between my freshman year and sophomore year of college. And that's how I got better. And the moral of the story is that you get better by doing it. You can sit here and listen to this podcast and you'll learn some great tips, but I want people to go out and I want them to do it. I want them to take a public speaking class that requires them to get out there and speak and to practice. I want them to join clubs and organizations. And if they're in college, they can join a debate team or a mock trial or moot court, Model UN, these are all public speaking centered type activities. If you are out of school, you can join Rotary International, Toastmasters International, Dale Carnegie has training programs, but you've got to get out there and you've got to do it. So whoever is listening and wants to become a better speaker, you can't read your way into becoming a better speaker. You can't listen your way into becoming a better speaker, though reading and listening can help. But you've got to take what you've read and what you've heard and you've got to put it into practice.
0: Now, getting that practice is an excellent point. But how do you convince kids, especially kids in high school and maybe even middle school, that this is something that they need to do and that it's not as as nerdy as you said? How, <laughs> how are you telling these kids, hey, this is something that's going to help you and then getting them to actually do it? Because it sounds like it's a pretty hard sell for kids within their teens.
2: Well, I would say that if you think about it, it's a really pragmatic thing to do. So if you're in high school or you're in middle school or you're in college, the fact of the matter is, is that if you work on your presentation skills and you become more articulate, you will do better in every single class that you take that requires a presentation. You will get higher grades. You will have a higher likelihood of being hired for every job you interview for because even though you might have the same resume on paper as the next person, when you go into that interview, if you can express yourself in a clear way, in a concise way without using junk words, without using some of the jargon that we get into when we're texting, that's going to set you apart and you're going to be a better candidate for that job because let's face it, most jobs, especially for entry level people, are going to be customer service either in person or over the telephone? And what is an important skill for customer service? Well, being able to present yourself. And as you get more and more senior as an employee in a company when you're done with high school or done with college, you get more and more of those opportunities. You have to interview for jobs. You have to Present in meetings, you have to present at conferences, you have to share your ideas with the world if you want to change the world, whether it's through the science that you're doing, whether it's through the new product that you developed, or the new political party that you're developing. If you have that idea and you want to change the world, then you should become a great presenter so you can do it. So, the people who I think are most likely to do it are the ones who are passionate about something whether that is a political cause or whether that is a volunteer project that they're working on or whether that is something with STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. But people who have passion and want to share that passion with the world, the key to doing that is learning how to communicate it in an articulate way.
1: You know what I think is really interesting about that is a lot of times people think oh, uh, speaking or presenting or, or anything along those lines are all about getting up in front of a crowd and facing that fear. And one of the things you're kind of saying is that it's really about just being an effective communicator in all aspects of the word. And I think that that is a differentiation that oftentimes gets lost when people think about presentations.
2: Absolutely. One of the biggest mistakes that I made initially when I started Spoken with Authority, as I said, I was a public speaking coach. And most people think, oh, well, I don't need a public speaking coach because I'm not an executive or a CEO and I'm not a politician and I don't give formal speeches. And most professionals don't have that many opportunities to give formal type speeches, a commencement address or an address to shareholders. But every single professional has to present in their work life, whether it's for job interviews, which is a one-on-one situation, but it's still a presentation skill. Whether you are having a one-on-one meeting with a client or a potential client, whether you are briefing your colleagues or your boss, whether you are pitching a funder for funding for that amazing science experiment that you've been working on your entire career, doesn't matter what field you're in you are going to have to present and it doesn't have to be on a podium. It doesn't have to be with a lectern and a PowerPoint slide. It could be in a one-on-one setting. And sometimes those one-on-one setting presentations are the ones where the most is on the line. Granted, you want to give a great commencement address when you're called upon to do so and you can certainly inspire the people listening to you. But it's when your dream job is on the line and you're having that one-on-one interview or when you're talking to the Financer who can give you the money to make your dream come true in business, those are the times that the presentation is absolutely a game changer. And it's just a one on one situation, but it is still a presentation skill. So I'm glad that you bring that up because even though you don't see yourself being a CEO or a politician who speaks at a lectern in front of thousands of people, you still will have to articulate your ideas and present yourself, whether it's a one on one meeting or a small group meeting it'll still be important to be articulate and to be confident in what you say.
0: One of our required training classes this year was a presentation skills class. And I was so hesitant to take it, not because I was worried about speaking in front of people, But because I thought it would be just this typical training course, kind of a waste of time. But it ended up being one of my favorite classes that I've taken while at my company. But what I wanted to ask you was, I found that when I took the presentation skills class, I was nervous at first just getting in front of people, being videotaped, that type of thing, and giving a presentation or a speech. But after I became comfortable with people and joked around with them, it was way easier to talk in front of them and that kind of thing where a lot of times when I go to present to clients and stuff, I haven't joked around with them. I don't really know them. So I am more nervous getting up and getting in front of those people. What can I do to kind of work on being or not being nervous the first time in front of people?
2: Well, you're doing the right thing, which is gaining experience. And the experience you gain in a more comfortable setting with your colleagues and friends where it's less nerve-wracking will give you the confidence to walk into that presentation in front of the client or prospective client you don't know as well and to do it effectively. And I won't tell you that you're not going to be nervous when you go in front of that potential client Mm -hmm. because you will be and you should be. The fact of the matter is that you want to land this business and it's important to you. And anything that's important should make you a little bit nervous. Just like when you are going to ask out A guy or girl that you're really interested in dating, when you ask them out, it's nerve-wracking. And if you weren't nervous, you probably don't really care about going out with them. And I would say that when you are nervous, it's a good sign. What you can do in order to feel better going into that meeting where you have the unknown of, I've never joked with these people, I don't have a rapport with them, is just to really do your due diligence. And you can do that in the long term by making sure you really thoroughly research who you're talking to and learn as much about them as you can from your own colleagues. If you know people in common, you can do some internet stalking, but not (laughs) letting them know that, but check out their LinkedIn profile and what their company website says about them or their personal website. Then you have to really make sure that you are well rehearsed on the material in that situation. And that means rehearse at least six times. And this is a mistake oh, wow. that most speakers make is that they will spend almost all of their time crafting their presentation, but they will spend very little time rehearsing it. You should spend, a good friend of mine, Susan Trivers, who's also a public speaking expert and coach, she says you should spend 40% of your time crafting the material and 60% of your time rehearsing it. Most speakers, I would say, spend about 80 to 90% of their time crafting and 10% rehearsing if that Once you get your material down, practice that material for that client pitch. And that way, when you go into the pitch or into that conversation you're having, you know your material backward and forward, such that no matter how much your nerves are bothering you and how many butterflies you have in your stomach, you will know that material and you can focus on connecting with the client by making great eye contact, by smiling through your posture, through your body language, your gestures. And it's that ability to rehearse and to go into a presentation confidently that'll really help you with the level of nervousness, especially in front of new people. And the experience that you're getting in the trainings, a psychologist would say, you're you're doing exposure therapy. You're nervous about speaking, but the more you do it, the less nervous you'll feel. Not to say that you'll get entirely fear-free, but the more times you're in front of a new client the more confident you'll get in that type of speaking situation. So keep doing it, keep getting practice and keep rehearsing.
1: So I know you dropped a lot of good little nuggets on us right there, but I also (laughs) know that you and I have spoken offline. And, you know, one of the things, it was just a small tip that you said regarding when somebody's up on a stage, you know, you don't want to look up and come across as preachy. You want to kind of tilt your chin down, look at them as a peer or an equal, and you'll connect better in a 15 second comment, I was like, wow, that's like a huge thing. So I was wondering if you have any other, you know, those kind of quick but important tidbits that might help people in their business presentations or, you know, if they are speakers or even when just trying to sell themselves.
2: Sure. When I talk about delivering a presentation confidently, whether it's a one on one situation or a large group situation, there are five general areas that I like to comment on, and they all start with S. So the first one is your stance. So if I were to give you one nugget on your stance, my suggestion would be to make sure that you try and take up as much room. In your physical speaking space as you can. Most people, when they're nervous, their shoulders hunch over, their arms stay close to their body, they put their legs very close together, they try to hide behind a lectern. So, you want to do the opposite of that to make yourself look confident. So, you want to widen your stance, you want to have your chest proud, shoulders back, instead of holding your hands in front of you, clasping. I want those hands at your sides, not glued to your sides, but a little bit away from your sides so you can have big gestures. So that would be my first thing in terms of stance. The second S is your sound, which is your vocal quality. And my quick tip there would be speak louder than you think you should. (laughs) Most people think that they are very loud speakers, but they aren't. Their audiences don't perceive them as being loud. If you don't have a microphone, even if you're in a small meeting, you still need to raise your voice above your speaking voice in order to be perceived as confident really belt it out. And if you're in a large group, a classroom, for example, or a conference room where there's 15, 20 people, you should really be belting it out such that you can hear your chest vibrate when you are speaking. You should be straining to project to the back of the room and you should feel uncomfortable. Your voice should be a little tired at the end of your presentation. So that sounds, we talked about stand, sound. The third is smile. And this is a no brainer, but most speakers don't do it. They don't smile. They forget to smile because they're nervous. And they have this look of terror. And sometimes audiences can read that look of terror as nervousness, but other times they read it as you being disinterested or aloof. And you want to make sure that you don't come across as nervous, distant, or aloof. You want to smile and you want to show that you're passionate about your subject and that you're friendly and approachable. Because at the end of the day, whether you're trying to inform someone about something that you are an expert on or sell them on a product. If you're smiling, showing them that you are confident and that you're friendly, you're going to be more likely to be successful with whatever you communicate. So we talked about stance, sound, smile. The fourth is silence that I like to go over. And that's avoiding junk words. Um, like, you know, any kind of filler words that people use to buy time. You've got to get used to being silent in our culture. We're very uncomfortable with silence. But in order to be an effective speaker, you've got to get rid of those junk words. And to do that, you have to pause and give yourself time to think, to have a purposeful separation between one sentence and the next. That's something that if you're able to master it, really is more of an advanced speaking skill. And you see very few speakers master it. And I would say really start working there in your day-to-day conversations. And then as you mentioned, the last S is sight. And that's making good eye contact. And in order to make lasting eye contact, With the people you're talking to, you can't be reading a script if you're giving a formal presentation, or you can't bury your head in your notes if you're speaking from notes in a meeting. But you want to make sure that you're looking up and you're looking in the eyes of the people you're talking to. And you want to hold that eye contact longer than you think you should, three entire seconds. And that's 1-1000, 2-1000, 3-1000. And to have unbroken eye contact for that amount of time feels very uncomfortable at first, and you have to get used to doing it in your one-on-one conversations. And then when you're in front of a larger group, you want to make that lasting eye contact. You want to keep your chin down so that you can look right in the eyes of the people who you're talking to. Because like you said, when that chin goes up and you're looking down your nose, people feel like you're preaching to them and like you're not having a conversation with them. And some of the best speakers whose audiences feel like they're in a one-on-one conversation, a great example is Bill Clinton. He would speak to thousands of people and every single person felt like they had a personal connection with him in his talk. And He was a great storyteller, but beyond that, I think it's because of the wonderful ability he had to make that eye contact where he keeps a chin down, he has a twinkle in his eye, And he holds that gaze with audience members and he makes them feel like they're just having this casual, intimate conversation.
1: I mean, I feel like we could just end the show and everybody's (laughs) like, hey, I got my time's worth. I mean, that's awesome stuff. I know. I was just
0: going to say that was worth the price of the admission. And this is a free podcast. (laughs) Like, that's crazy. Yeah. No,
1: I and I knew you had so many good things and so many more. Hey guys, today's sponsor is Audible, the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks with over 100,000 titles in virtually every genre. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Listen to audiobooks anytime, anywhere iPhones, iPads, computers, Kindles, and so on. Audible is offering Smart People podcast listeners a free audiobook along with a 30 day trial go to www.audiblepodcast.com/smart to take advantage of this special offer. John and I really recommend you check out How to Find Fulfilling Work by Roman Krasnarek, a past guest of ours, great author, awesome content. Check that book out, head over to audiblepodcast.com/smart for your free audiobook and 30 day trial. You know, I wanted to go into a little bit because you have so much knowledge to share. When I met you, you were talking about the elevator pitch. And Mm -hmm. so we've kind of covered the presentation, but the elevator pitch is something that I bet that you can't find somebody that has to give some elevator pitch at some point in their life. I mean, it's a part of the work environment now, it's almost so cliche, it's annoying. Yes. <laughs> but you had some really good things to say about that. And I think a lot of time, nobody gets coaching on the elevator pitch. I mean, they might, if you're a salesman, you know, and you have to be selling stuff. But if in your daily normal routine, you, you have to interact with people and tell them what you do, just what do you do? That's an elevator pitch. And that was something you kind of impressed upon me. I was hoping you could drop some more knowledge on our listeners.
2: Absolutely. An elevator pitch is really useful tool for marketing yourself and there has been this backlash against elevator pitches because people say, "Oh, you're never going to meet someone important in an elevator or you don't want to have something scripted and memorized that comes across as very fake and phony." And I agree with that. You probably won't meet someone amazing in an elevator and have to pitch them in 2 minutes. And you don't want to have something that's scripted and stiff when you are talking to new people. But the fact of the matter is is that you will have opportunities to explain what you do to people. And it could be at a conference. It could be at a professional association or networking event. It could be at a job interview when you're asked to tell me about yourself. It could even be when you're having cocktails with friends and you meet someone new and they ask you what you do. And for those people who are entrepreneurs or in business for themselves, It's absolutely vital to have that response because you don't want to always be selling, but you do always want to let people know what you do in case, oh my gosh, this is the perfect client, or they know the person who's the perfect client. You don't want to miss up on those opportunities. So, what you need to do for an elevator pitch, I think there's three parts. The first thing that I encourage people to do is to describe themselves, not using a title or industry jargon but by explaining what they do in terms of how they solve a problem for their employer or for their client. And I once worked with a CPA who would use her industry jargon to talk about the different certifications she had as an accountant, but that was really boring, and no one knew what she was talking about other than her CPA colleagues and friends. And I encouraged her to come up with something that was a little bit more memorable and catchy. And the thing that she now says when she goes to a happy hour is, oh, my name is Ray, and I take the dread out of April 15th. (laughs) And that's a very short and catchy thing. And does it encapsulate every single thing that she does in her professional life? No, but it's interesting and it's memorable. It gets to the point and it starts a conversation. So I like that first sentence to start a conversation. I used to say I was a public speaking coach. And again, no one thinks they need a public speaking coach because they're not a politician or CEO. And so I changed my elevator pitch to describe how I solve a problem. And I say, I develop the voice of experts who want to broaden their impact. And there are many people out there with expertise who want to share it with the world. And they say, ah, I could use your help. And that's the kind of person who I want to work with. So think of that first sentence. And it's really crucial that you identify how you solve a problem and that you try to avoid industry jargon and use simple terms that everyone can understand and try to avoid the word help. Because everyone says, oh, I help this, I help that. You want to have a word that's stronger, more memorable, more interesting, more compelling than help. So that's my challenge to you for that first sentence. Then the second thing that I encourage all of my speakers to do that I work with on elevator speeches is to tell a short anecdote about why they love doing what they do or why they're good at what they do. And when I'm telling my story, I often tell a story about being a debater in college and losing all 12 of my first 12 debates because that's where I learned that I wanted to do this and it makes me get out of bed every day wanting to help people find their voice so they can change the world. And I love telling the story about me losing all those debates because it gives me credibility. I'm not someone who's always been a gifted, wonderful public speaker. I had to learn it the hard way and I think most people do. There's very few people who have this natural talent for public speaking And neither do I. (laughs) So (laughs) I come at it honestly. So make sure that you tell an anecdote, open yourself up, make it short, Put in a couple interesting details, but make it something that people can remember. Because after that cocktail party, people may not remember my name. They may not remember Christine Clapp. They may not remember Spoken with Authority. But they sure will say, oh, yeah, I met that woman from the Pacific Northwest. She lost all of her debate rounds in the first two tournaments she spoke in. And now she has that public speaking consulting business. That's exactly what you want. You want people to remember you by your story. That's a signature story. So tell a signature story. Then the third thing, so after you tell how you solve a problem, you share a quick anecdote, then you want to start a dialogue. The biggest mistake people make when they're networking events or introducing themselves is that they start a monologue. They go off and they talk for minutes about themselves. And that's a sure way to have people running the opposite way at a networking event and to have the person interviewing you stop writing any notes and start wondering when the next potential employee is coming in the door you want to get the other person talking. People like to talk about themselves. and this In job interviews, people think it's all about talking about themselves as the candidate. You, The less you talk as the candidate, the better the job interview is going. Because if you're learning about the interviewer, how he or she got to that level in the position, what kind of person they're looking for, what kind of work that they would see someone with your qualifications doing, that means that you are doing really well and they really like you and you're learning a lot about the position and you're getting leverage to get this job. Whenever you're doing an elevator pitch, end with a question. Make it short, one to two minutes, and then get the other person talking because when you're listening, you're learning. When you're talking, you're not learning anything. And you can open with a really simple question like, oh, what is it that you do? Or if you're at an event where you suspect that you'll be around people who might be clients of yours or might want to work with you, You can ask a more tailored question. And for me, I might ask something like, oh, tell me about the kinds of presentations you do in the course of your work. And that could start a a dialogue going in terms of specific ways I can help someone or someone that they know. So again, the three things to remember, describe how you solve a problem as your introduction, then tell an anecdote, and then turn it into a dialogue by asking a question that gets the other person talking.
1: You know, what's really funny about that is all of those things I hear you, say and I'm like, oh, okay, I probably would have done that or would have thought of that. But I realize they're all difficult things to do, all three of them. So combining all three into one elevator pitch is the reason it's so difficult to craft a great one. Because the, the thing you said about, you know, don't use the word help. I challenge everybody to come up with that elevator pitch and not use the word help. It's annoying how frustrating that gets. And then tell the story and keep it short. They're all kind of difficult things. But when done, I mean, I I feel like that's how you stick out from the crowd.
2: Absolutely. And an elevator speech should be something that is a living, breathing thing. And the only part that I would memorize of an elevator speech should be that first sentence. So have that first sentence down word for word so you can be really articulate and memorable. And then... Based on who you're talking to or the event that you're at, you can tell different anecdotes because, for example, if I'm talking to recent college graduates, I'll probably talk more about job interview strategy and personal branding, that work that I do rather than if I was at a conference with seasoned experts in a certain field where I'd talk more about lectern-style presentation skills and, and an anecdote that relates to that. So I would say you want to have a, a small repertoire of anecdotes and questions that you can interchange based on the situation, based on how you're feeling, based on the other person and the exchange you're having. So it's not this static, memorized robotic response but that it's this living breathing thing and these are anecdotes about your life you don't have to memorize them you just tell them and when you're in a situation and it's the five minute version of the story is appropriate then you could give more details about it it's your own life you can do that on the fly but if it's an occasion where it's a speed networking session, you only have 30 seconds. Well, that's when you give the really short version of it. But again, it should be in your own voice. It should be conversational. Don't script out everything word for word because the way that we write is not the way that we speak. And if you script things out and script speeches out, it's not going to sound like a conversation. It'll sound robotic and boring.
0: And just a quick personal antidote. I can't even begin to say how valuable a good elevator speech is because it absolutely changed my dating life because it is (laughs) it's the greatest thing to have because you know you go on a first date and you're nervous and if you can pitch yourself real quickly and then just throw questions their way and get them talking i mean it's everything that you talked about it's changed my life so hopefully some of our listeners will listen to your advice and and use the same (laughs) thing whether it's personal or professional
2: I'm glad you mentioned that. I'll start using dating life as a benefit of working on your elevator speech. Oh, absolutely. But it does speak to the fact that many people avoid both dating and networking events because they're awkward. But the way that you can reduce awkwardness is to have a couple things that you can say and that you've rehearsed and that feel natural to you and they're ready to go. And then to think of questions to ask because if you can get the other person talking, again, the networking event the date, it will go by really quickly if the other person is engaged in talking to you. And that's where you really have a good time. You make good connections. And hey, maybe it's not someone who ends up being a client or hey, maybe it's not the person you end up having a long-term relationship with. But it certainly will make the night a lot less painful than if you have a robotic (laughs) elevator speech that makes the back and forth very awkward and people don't want to be in the conversation. So I absolutely... Think you're onto something there.
1: You can add that to your resume now that you're a relationship <laughs> therapist as well.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Christine, I know, like I said, you're taking time away from your family, and we appreciate it so much. I know our listeners will, and and they'll contact us uh, and say how great of a, a show this one was. I just have a feeling because it's good stuff, and I know people want to find more. Uh, you know, about you, where they can find you. Spoken with Authority is your business, which is fantastic. I knew when I met you, I I had to talk with you more. And you write for Toastmasters as well. Is there anywhere else that people can find you or kind of learn from you?
2: People can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Christine Clapp, C-L-A-P-P. And I have a monthly electronic newsletter, and I try to have some really great tips and advice on Presentation skills every single month for you. And you can sign up for free on my website, spokenwithauthority.com, and you'll learn about things I'm working on and interesting tips and advice because, you know, I'm all about helping people change the world. So I like to make my newsletters chock full of great content. So I hope that folks will check it out. And I appreciate the opportunity to go on your podcast. Thank you for having me.
1: Definitely. No, we really appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you for all the great advice.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. It was right. great to speak with you. Thanks, Thanks Christine. So Have a
1: good night. All right. All right.
0: Bye-bye. Bye Wow. Pound for pound, that has to be one of our most useful podcast interviews to date i mean you, can you just say? take
1: you can just take good stuff out of there just go to any minute in there and you're like oh
0: interesting thing yeah i hope everybody was taking notes that's for sure
1: i feel like we did our civil duty i don't know maybe that's just being pompous but i just like talking to her so much that that's what it feels like everybody make sure we didn't really get it in in the intro but smartpeoplepodcast.com is where we keep all the things behind this show past episodes contact us how to reach us amazon widget all that good stuff we love hearing from you, John. You were just saying how we've been getting emails from people, and it's just so cool. We feel like we're we have this community of people that you know out there we can just chat with.
0: Yeah, we got an email from Ryan Giannettino. Seriously, yeah, Ryan's last name. Yeah, because nobody's gonna know how to spell or pronounce it, <laughs> so I think he's okay with it. Yeah, now that was a good one.
1: And uh, we do have sponsors on the show now, but it's because we believe in what they are. I mean, Igloo. If you're a small business slash brain is our thing and audible everybody knows audible because they're awesome you should definitely use them instead of read you should just listen
0: guys thank you for listening and thank you so much for all that you do you really are the best listeners in the world you rock